morning for morning people is a great time. We'd love to have you. It's going to run four Tuesdays starting the 25th. And I got to give one uh, announcement here, and that is that our, our dear sisters, as most of you know, Nan Edmonds did pass away. And we're having the funeral service down here, a celebration of life. We're going to have a great time because Nan is with the Lord. Can I get a witness? She loved Jesus. And I'm looking forward to just being able to be here and do that. So that's taking place uh, this Saturday, the 22nd at 2 p.m. We'd love to have you. I know Alan's been going through a lot, and I know the support would be really appreciated. So I get to introduce my two newest best friends. Uh, I don't think you really understand how honored we are to have them here with us, Dick and his wonderful wife, Joan. And they have just encouraged me and built me up, and it is so wonderful to be able to hang out with people like that, that just speak into your life, see things from a whole different perspective. He's got a more elevated perspective than I do. He can speak into situations that I don't always see, and so I'm so grateful for that. And they came all the way down six hours away from Lethbridge, Alberta, which I didn't even know in Canada. All the Canadians, do we have it? There's like two of them in here. All right. Anyway, if I want to introduce Dick and, and uh, give him the service this morning. Dick and Joan, if you'd love to come up, we love you. Grateful for you. Good morning, Bethany Church. So good to be here. Honestly, we are just so blessed to be here and to have been able to spend a weekend with your pastors. Great Canadian girl. She took me shopping. Lord to God. It was so much fun. But, you know, I mean, uh, Elizabeth's mom attends our church in Lethbridge. She sits right behind and, us every Sunday you. morning. Yes, and uh, so we're we're just so glad to be here. And you know Amen. what? We've spent the weekend just visiting and uh, you know, and just talking and dreaming and sharing with Jordan and Elizabeth. And I have to say, as a church, you are blessed Amen. to have yes. pastors like this. Yes. And what I appreciate about them is that they have a clear call from God. And they know where they're going. They are, they're pressing into the call of God on their life. And they, he's a visionary. And so he sees the end result. You know, and with a call of God like that, you know you'll never quit. You'll never waver. You've got a call and you're going somewhere. And you know what? We need pastors and churches like this in this day and age. Because how, how many know we've just entered into a brand new season and uh, yes, it's a glorious season, but it's an also an Isaiah 60 season where there's going to be great light and great darkness like never before, the clashing of kingdoms. And you know what? We have to be the salt and the light that Jesus said we were. And you know, this scripture says that the glory of God will rest upon God's people, the light of God. So we need to be a light in darkness, amen? And uh, if we are a light in, in darkness, one person said it like this a couple weeks ago when he was at our church. He said, God has called us to be brilliant and tasty in the midst of chaos, <laughs> amen? And so I'll never forget that. But this is the season we're in, and you've got a pastor and his wife and a leadership team in this church that are they're going to shine and be brilliant and tasty in the chaos that is ahead because we have a plan, right? God said, I will have my glory inhabit this earth. 
as the waters cover the sea. That's where we're going. We have a very similar vision and a very similar heart for what God wants us to do. We feel right at home here. I love the worship. We feel at home. And I I sometimes wonder why there's a border between Alberta and Montana. Because you know what? We're family. Amen? So it's just so good to be here. God bless you all. And uh, we love this church. We love you, pastors. It is dickandjoan.com. We've done broadcast television for 35 years. A little bit of our story is that we pioneered Christian television in Canada, 24-hour Christian television. Uh, You may, Americans find this hard to understand, but 1928, the CRTC, which is the FCC equivalent, passed broadcast policy which would not license any religious organization or any religious group for religious purposes. And so you you had to buy time on secular media, which got expensive, and you could only get small portions. One day, uh, uh, we bought time on a local TV station. We paid pretty good rate for it. And one day, they just informed me. They said, our program was on at 9 or 9.30 in the morning, Sunday morning, which was a good time, you know, caught a lot of viewers. And then they just said to me, oh, we're moving your program to 8 in the morning. And I said, well... We don't have the viewers at that. They're not out of bed yet. Uh, I want to keep my time there, and I'm paying for it. And then they looked at me, and they said, Pastor, you're lucky you're on television at all. And I thought, what an arrogant thing to say. I'm paying them. How do you, you don't talk to a, you know, if you're a car salesman, you say, I want to sell you this car. By the way, you're the ugliest person I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to sell them a car. That started the journey. And I thought, well, that's so arrogant. We're going to have to do something about that. And we put up a pirate transmitter. And, and one story led to another, another. And we ended up confronting in hearings in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, the broadcast policy. And just through a whole series of miracles, uh, favor that God gave me with the vice chairman of the CRTC, who later, years later, came and stayed in our home. And uh, anyway... So we've done broadcast television for a long time. We pioneered the first network in Canada, fully devoted to Christian broadcasting. Uh, we were non-commercial, and Joan and I were the, uh, le- uh, you know, the lead program, the anchor program. And of course, it's pretty clear to see who the eye candy is, right? Yeah. Uh, but the, as I was in the uh, Pastor Jordan's office, uh, by the way, I just wanted to say what a joy it's been, and Joan has already said it. What a joy it's been to be here. We met a few of your leaders. Uh, I would have loved to have met more. I love imparting into leaders. The next time I come, uh, make sure you do some leadership meetings because I love imparting into leaders. It's been part of my DNA for years, and, uh, and I have such a passion for it. You know why? Everything rises and falls on leadership. If you don't believe me, go read Isaiah 3, verses 1 to 5. Go do that. That's your homework. <laughs> Not now. Don't do it now. Do it at home. Isaiah 3, 1 to 5. And it said, what it is, it gives you a whole story about an entire culture that's inverted. It says the elder is abused and the, and the young people are exalted and the fool rules. and it, it, It's a whole inverted culture. And why? Because there's no leadership. His leader rises and falls on leadership. Every man, when he's fully trained, will be like his leader. And, uh, and so we need to have men and women who are trained up and I think discipled and commissioned by quality leadership. 
And that's how we will change a nation. That's how we'll change a city. Amen? Amen. So I just really would love to have done that. But as I was in the office, Pastor Jordan's office, it must be so anointed because I suddenly received something from the Lord for you. And uh, as I was sitting there, the Lord just showed me. First of all, I will tell you what happened. And this doesn't happen very often. But this deep sense of love for this church rose up in my heart. Just a minute, I'm almost getting emotional here as I'm talking about this love for this church, this congregation. And then I heard the Lord say, I have placed a precious... Wow, just a minute. I have placed a precious seed in this church. Do you know what that means? A seed in Scripture is about... It's an embryo. And an embryo is protected for months in the womb of a woman. And then when the child is born, it's also protected. It's not engaged into the warfare of life until it matures at the right day. And I felt the Lord say this, this church has a precious seed and a day will come when it's be fully revealed. But in the moment, it's being protected. And here's what I heard from the Lord. This is a mandate for you. And please hear this. This is, I'm a pastor, I'm an apostle, I do things, I, but I pastor the last 11 years, we've pastored a church in Lethbridge. We started it in uh, November 20th, 2011. <clears throat> and uh, it's called Third Day Victory Church. He gave me this for you, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron <clears throat> running down on the edge of his garments. Aaron was a priest. Not everybody's a priest. Not everybody can, priest can go into the presence of God, other people can't. So you have to understand that. So when it's saying, this Psalm 133 is saying that there's a place that some people have that gives them preference as they go into the presence of God. And it says it was the oil that runs down his garments. And then he says, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Well, dew, Mount Hermon, by the way, has a ski hill. Did you know that? Did you know that Israel has a ski hill? First time I went to Israel was 2001. I couldn't believe it. I said, I'm from Canada. We have the best ski hills in the world. And they've got a ski hill on Mount Hermon. Uh, just never saw Jews, you know, rabbis going down the slopes. It was just an image I never had in my mind before, right? But so it's, it's like high snows up there and it feeds the River Jordan, the whole Jordan Valley. And in fact, Israel would not exist without Mount Hermon, by the way. It's life-giving. So that tells you something about the significance of this church. That there is something life-giving and refreshing. So I see those second, verse 3, as a prophetic word about refreshing that will come out of this congregation, out of this local church. The anointing and a position of, of intercessory preference, which is what the priesthood did. You know, the Bible says we're all called to be kings and priests unto God, but you know, not all people use that. Not everybody is a priest unto God because they don't exercise that. They don't take advantage of that. 
So let me repeat myself again. I just sense a precious seed in this congregation. I want to speak the blessing of God over it now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare blessing over Pastor Jordan and Elizabeth, all of their ministry team, all of their leaders, everyone in this congregation. I declare a hedge of protection around this congregation with angelic warriors watching over the precious seed. Lord, you want the precious seed to come into full birth into full existence, and we declare it in this congregation. Let it be, Lord. And there's been warfare, and I see it in the Spirit now. There's been warfare over trying to steal the precious seed out of this church, trying to knock that vision out of your hearts, but the Spirit of God is going to keep you and preserve you if you walk in unity. What was the first verse? Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. You and I know that when parents, a husband and wife, are in love and in unity and agreement and they bring children into the world, that's the best environment. Isn't it? Those children grow up emotionally, mentally healthy. That's what God wants. That's what He's doing in this church. And so I declare that blessing of God upon it. Now I want to tell you a story. Everybody likes stories? When you're older, you tell stories. When you're younger, it's all visions. <laughs> But I'm older, so I tell stories, right? <laughs> I want to tell you about the first telephone network. A recent report by British scientists claims that after digging down 10 feet, they've found traces of copper wire dating to 120 years back. And they came to the conclusion that the UK had a telephone network 120 years ago. Woohoo! Well, you know, Americans are kind of competitive. The American archaeologist, not wanting to be outdone by the Brits, dug to a depth of 20 feet, and shortly thereafter published a report in the New York Times, American archaeologists have found traces of 140-year-old copper wire, which proves that Americans had an advanced high-tech Americans network 20 years earlier than the British. Sound very American to you? I'm not being insulting. So one week later, one week later, the Canadian Department of Mines and Resources in Newfoundland by the way, don't call, never go to Newfoundland and say Newfoundland. They will be highly offended. Am I right? You're from Cape Breton. You would know this. So it's Newfoundland, understand? The first time I went to Newfoundland, that's what I heard over and over again. It's Newfoundland, understand? Anyway, back to the story. Um, so they reported the following. After digging as deep as 30 feet in northeast Canada, Jack Lucknow, a self-taught archaeologist, reported that he found absolutely nothing at all. Jack therefore concluded that over 150 years ago, Canada had already gone wireless. <laughs> now, I know you're American, but can't you be proud about Canada right now? Uh, you may not even under fully understand that joke because Newfoundland has a usual, an unusual and unique place in Confederation. Do you know they didn't join Canada until 1949? They were a colony of, British, of the British until that time. So they have a very unique culture, and uh, we've been there, and it is very unique, isn't it? I have a word for you today. It's about fulfilling your purpose and destiny, and we're going to take our, uh, just the right amount of time. And then, if God permits, I'm going to release something over some individuals, if the Lord gives it to me. I do flow in that way, but 
I want to talk about fulfilling your purpose, and I'm going to begin with 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6 and down to verse uh, 8. I have quite a few scriptures, so uh, you might want to watch the YouTube video after or something. But um, at our home church, they can put up the pro presenter can put up the scriptures, but I'm not sure you can do that this morning. I wasn't sure if that's possible. 2 Timothy 4 verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me, give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to also to all those who have loved his appearing. Powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. There's something here about Paul stating at the end of his life, these verses are probably some of the most profound of his ministry. Because he said, I've fought the good fight. Some people have fought, but it's with each other. They're not fighting the good fight. The good fight is when we fight the devil, when we fight the ruler of this world and principalities and powers. In my lifetime, I had three experiences where I've seen a principality assigned against me. And uh, let me want to tell you, this is no small experience. And it didn't happen... You know, it's these people that see something every 15 minutes. It happened the first time in 2000. It happened the second time in 2007. And it happened again in July, January 1st of this year. And I've seen this principality. And just in the last week or two, I even discovered this principality's name. I knew him. I could describe him. But I could not tell you his name until just recently. And it was something that Jeremiah Johnson, a prophetic leader in Canada, in the USA, shared about his experience in Canada. And I immediately recognized the individual he was describing. And I thought, I've seen that person three times. And I know the Holy Spirit said to me the first time that I had been, that, in, that entity had been assigned against me. And to keep us off the airwaves and to keep us from changing the spiritual climate of Canada through broadcasting and Christian television. And so we went into a very big fight. And I have to say, I underestimated the warfare from that entity. I, I made a mistake. I took it too casual, too light. You know, woohoo, I got the victory and, and didn't realize we're in a desperate warfare. And these powers and principalities have immense authority. Now, I'm not saying this to elevate them, I'm, because we know Jesus has all authority. I'm just saying this so that you be serious. And that's what the Bible says, right? That we're to be serious and sober-minded in these days, because we are warring against those who want to destroy not only ourselves, your church, your community, but your nation. If it's ever evident, it's evident in Canada and the U.S. today. There are entities wanting to destroy this. They want to rewrite the Constitution. They want to change this nation. Beloved, listen. I'm going to tell you something. The Lord has shown me this. The warfare that we have to do, sometimes all it is is just stand. When I, January 1, I was crying out to the Lord. It was a two and a half hour night vision that I had. And I, I was crying out to the Lord as I saw this spiritual warfare. And I said, Lord, what should I do? And he said, stand. Let's see Ephesians 6, right? Having done all to stand, stand therefore. And sometimes uh, that is your most powerful, you know, 
speaking in, you know, in rabid tongues is not necessarily the, the warfare that you need to do. There are times when you do that. As a matter of fact, two weeks ago, we do a week, uh, midweek prayer service called Tefillah. The worship just seemed to take off. We were singing in the Spirit over and over, long periods of times. And in, as we were singing this, suddenly the anointing came on me, and I began to speak in a different language than I normally speak, right? It, and, then, and it became authoritative. And I, mean, I noticed that I was pointing down like this to the floor, and I was speaking authoritative. It went on for minutes, I don't know how many, and then just lifted. But when it was done, I knew I had pronounced judgment on an entity of some form. We wage warfare. That's what we're about. And we have to contend. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, I have fought the good fight. Notice what he says here. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. God, I'll tell you, there was a point in time in my life where I thought I quit. I failed, and I was knocked out of the race. I had people tell me, you're out of the race. It's over for you. And I went through a period of years, about five years, on the sidelines. I'm out of the race. I'm disqualified. You know, Christians are so encouraging sometimes, right? (laughs) (laughs) I say that as tongue-in-cheek, of course. Notice what else he says here. Well, he says, I've kept the faith. Notice what else he says. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Do you know the Bible in the New Testament talks about five different crowns? Crown of rejoicing. There's all these five. You can do a search. You'll see five different crowns. Well, he said, for me, there's a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. See, he has not received it yet. It's when we all receive it together. Some people, you know, they barely get into heaven. Do you know that? Paul said, he said, some get in by the fire. The fire will burn their works. He says, they will suffer loss. Nevertheless, their soul will be saved. I don't want to go in that way. He said, I want an abundant entry into the kingdom of heaven. You know, eternity is long. Life is comparatively short. I want to enter with a crown of rejoicing. I want to enter in a crown of an overcomer. And you know why? It's not because it's for my sake. But you know there's a juncture there in the book of Revelation where all of the company of heaven at some juncture lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Now this is going to be an overwhelming experience. Billions laying their crowns and their rewards at the feet of Jesus, the one who shed his blood for your salvation and has given you this eternal destiny. And there are going to be some people, none in this room I hope, but there's going to be some people who are standing there and we i got nothing. I don't have nothing to put before Jesus. It says they shall suffer loss, yet, it says their soul will be saved. They'll be children of God. See, some people have limited our salvation as, I just want fire insurance. It's more than that. He says, this is what I've done. And he says, now my life is over. I'm ready to be poured out like a drink. That's Jew, drink off. That was like Jewish terminology, which they would literally do in the, in the tabernacle. So he says, I've done this. I've fought a good fight. You can't be passive if you're going to follow the Lord. Do you know that? You've got to fight. Not always. 
Did you notice in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a litany of faithful warriors. Have you noticed that? I mean, you, it's, it goes on and on. It's not just one or two. There's a list of faithful warriors. And it talks about them. The heroes of faith. And there's only one that actually saw the accomplishment of what they were believing for. That was Abraham and Sarah in their old age having a, a baby. Can you imagine Sarah? What, she's over 90. Abraham at 100. Whatever happened to Abraham, it really took, because he would live to 170 years, married again, and had more kids. I'm telling you, something really took place in his life. But can you imagine? They were the only ones. The rest never saw the fulfillment of their faith. I don't know. I, I would find that, I'm, personally, I find that really, really challenging. You're talking about very unique people who can hold fast to a vision, have never seen it until they're in the presence of Jesus. Thank God we have the gospel today that empowers us more than our, those old... You know, the Bible says that John the Baptist was the greatest saint of the Old Testament, right? Jesus said this, Matthew 8. He said, John, John, of all the prophets, is the greatest. But he said, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. That's you. Well, I'm not calling you least. You're a part of the kingdom of heaven. It's saying that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than all of those great saints that you read in Hebrews 11. Look at what Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. What you can trust is this, that God will take you through to the finish line. The only conditions don't quit. You know the biggest thing that we have a problem with is our eyes. We can believe, but then we start looking and faith leaks out the eyeballs. Have you noticed that? It's, it's, it's one of those things about your eyes. It's just all leaks. You look at, you look at the conditions and the circumstances. Oh, no. All of us experience that. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. So it's not what happens to you in your life. It's what happens through you and in you. That's the key. You know what? I don't see progress in my life. You know why? God's working on the inside of you. He's making you the right person. And you know what I found? That takes longer than actually doing the work. And you know, I'm, I'm of a Dutch extract. My parents uh, immigrated from Holland to Canada. The Canadian soldiers liberated Holland. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, well let the Canadians cheer a little. The Canadian soldiers liberated Holland. Now don't take this wrong, but of all the soldiers that operated in the arena of World War II in Europe, the Canadians were held in very high esteem. You know why? They were so polite. <laughs> they were. They were gracious. They were polite. They were kind. And the Dutch were overwhelmed with thankfulness. To this day, the Dutch festival and all great uh, uh, representation. They have done this huge tulip festival in Ottawa to thank the Canadians for liberating Holland. I'm telling you the story because it is a good story. And uh, my parents were so touched 
by the Canadians that they decided on that basis to emigrate to Canada. And then my parents came to a place called Tabor, Alberta, which uh, just prairie and tons of you know irrigated farmland. And my dad worked for a farm. He was actually uh, took schooling in Holland for uh, horticulture, so in uh, agriculture. So he was he was expecting something a little different. He ended up a farm laborer. And uh, it wasn't quite what he expected. And my mother, and, and that's why they came here. The Canadians were just so uh, amazingly uh, made such a deep impression on the people of the Dutch. I watched a documentary one time. These 85-year-old 80, veterans were being interviewed about their hardship of World War II. And uh, every one, after they asked them, would you, if this happened again, would you go to war again? You know what every one of them said? No, absolutely not. We wouldn't go. It's the most horrid thing I've ever been through. It is the worst experience that you can possibly imagine. A, a generation here needs to hear this. We have to understand how horrific war is. Anyway, they said, we'd never go. And they went through about six of these older gentlemen, and they came to this one guy, and they asked him, would you go to the war again? And he said, no. No, I wouldn't go. It was so horrible. Then they stopped. He said, except for the Dutch. He said, I'd do it for the Dutch. Sorry, I'm Dutch, so I get to, I get to, uh, you know why? But we can learn from this. Because the Dutch were so thankful. They just overwhelmingly thanked the uh, liberators, the Canadian soldiers. It so touched the Canadian soldiers, but it also so touched the whole nation of the Dutch. To this day, they overwhelmingly bless uh, Canada and the Canadian government, but many, many, huge numbers of Dutch people immigrated. That's how I got here. I got born here. When I was born here, my mother went out to the field to tell my dad uh, that she was expecting. She was very poor health, so this was really kind of good, bad news because she probably wouldn't survive or medically. And she went to him and said to my dad, Dad, uh, I have to tell you something. I'm expecting and my dad was really quiet because he knew the hardship this meant. And he didn't say much. And then all of a sudden he said, Marie, look at this big land. And, uh, you know, Southern Alberta is known as the land of the endless skies, the blue skies. You know, I think Montana, same thing. And uh, he said, look at this big land. He says, there's room for a baby in this land. And he pronounced a blessing over my life. I believe that he gave me a destiny at that point. And that's why God birthed such a destiny in my heart for the nation of Canada. That I loved it from sea to sea. I'm not, even though I was born here, I'm of Dutch heritage. And, and God used me to open up the nation to change the spiritual climate to Christian broadcasting, which reached into every community. Joan and I would get calls from the north, remote communities. One guy from... Uh, Robert, was it? He got our home number and he phoned Joan. He was phoning this Inuit man phoning Joan. Joan's like, what's going on here, you know? But we were touching people all over. See, it takes warfare to fulfill your destiny, but the fruits are worth it. If we can see from the eternal perspective. Let me move along. But notice this, and I already mentioned and reference this, 2 Timothy 2 verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Now more than verse 21, therefore, 
If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I want you to be that. I want you to be one of those persons prepared for every good work. I'm going to tell you something. If you have a destiny, God will bring it to pass. But you can't quit. But there's a lot of waiting in between. That's what I've noticed. I was kind of an impatient fellow. Is that right, Joan? Oh, she said, yeah. Oh, okay, I guess it was worse than I thought. But, you know, and, and so the, I found the waiting hard. But it's the waiting where God forms you and prepares you and empowers you and gives you the perseverance to win the prize. Paul said this to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things, he said, and give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Isn't that interesting? Don't limit the gift of prophecy. Let it flow. I'm not talking about stupid prophecy. I'm talking about don't limit the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because he says to Timothy, prophecy gave you direction in your life. And by them, you should do some warfare. What does that mean? Lord, you said. I'm going to tell you when I've had to use my prophecies. Not when I had goosebumps and was on the, you know, woo mountaintop. It was when I was going through hardship. When I was going through the dark night of the soul, when I thought it was over for me, I had to lay hold of those words and do warfare and say, I'm going to serve you, Lord. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to finish the race. I want to finish at the end. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I sure didn't do everything perfect, but I do want to finish my course. So don't look at me now and say, yeah, well, that's good for Pastor Jordan, you know, Pastor Elizabeth, somebody else. Maybe some of you think it's Donald Trump or whatever. It's for you. It's for every one of us. We, each of us, have a calling and destiny. You say, how do you know that? Psalm 139 says so. Psalm 139 says there's a book written about you. And in your life, every page is recorded. Your life is recorded in every page, rather. And you are called to fulfill that book. And my prayer for myself is that I fulfill the words of the book that were written about me. I think we are, aren't we, Joan? We, uh, we, we don't need a lot of talent. You don't need a lot of talent. All you have to be is Dutch. <laughs> no, you know why I say that? Dutch are known to being stubborn. No, no amens, please. But anyway, and, but the one, there's a positive, is that they don't quit. They press forward. You know, you know that Holland is a really a comparatively small nation? Landmass, I think 18 Hollands can fit in, Netherlands can fit into Alberta or Montana. The population has never been huge. I think it may even, might even be up to 20 million now, but that's probably high. Do you know that the Dutch ruled the seas? They had, they'd spread out, they were all over. They were planting colonies all over. They were like a competitor with the British Commonwealth, the British Empire. That's this small little nation. You know why? They were so determined. But we can learn a lesson from that. 
wasn't their size or any of their privileges. They just were determined and they made an impact. I'm not bragging about being Dutch now, by the way. I probably have never said that much about being Dutch. Yeah, Joan's saying never, yeah. I'm in America. I can do that here. I don't know. So I want to just tell you four things that will help you fulfill your destiny. Four things, and it'll be quick. What are you willing to leave or endure? I've never seen a vision given in the Scriptures where someone isn't asked to leave something or endure something. There's many examples in the Scripture. But Hebrews 11.8, talking about Abraham. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What is that saying? Actually, we know from history, archaeology, that Abraham lived with his father in a very highly developed place. The city was developed. He became a dweller, a nomad, a dweller in tents. And he followed, he just he didn't even know where he would go. There were places where he stayed for a season, but, but he was following this calling from God. He left comfort, creature comfort, living in tents. Now, some men would think this is great. It's a lifetime of camping. But the women were not as impressed. So it was an interesting situation where he had to leave the comfort, leave the security, go to a place. And it says there, and he did not know where he was going. How about that? How about God telling you, I want you to go? Well, where am I going to go? Well, I'll tell you later. And years go by. Lord, you were going to tell me where I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you later. How many of us could do that? I'm not recommending you do it. But Abraham did it, and he became the hero of faith. He was willing to leave, and he was willing to endure. He spent a great deal. And you can read the narrative, you know, in Genesis, you know. You certainly read the narrative when he's talking about, you know, Lord, you told me I'd have a son who would be an heir. And here I am of old age, and Sarah, well, you know, you know Sarah is older too. And, and it's not looking good, Lord. And the promise would come again and say, no, you know, you're going to have a son. Imagine now this same man, they get their miracle, which is amazing enough. And then the Lord says, oh, by the way, take your son, your only son, Isaac, take him with you and sacrifice him in a place that I will show you. We know now where it was, Mount Moriah. It was part of the Temple Mount, but also the mount where Christ was crucified. And there he had to prophetically be willing to offer his only son, the son of his old age, that one that he endured decades of following like a nomad and enduring, following this dream. And now the Lord says, sacrifice your only son. And he did, you know that. He laid him on the altar, he was ready to do it, and then the Lord interrupted him. And in the thicket was a goat, 
and he was able to sacrifice that. By the way, we are here today as believers because of the prophetic act of Abraham willing to lay down his only son, the one of his old age. Because he was willing, it released the hand of God to send his own son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Do you find that amazing? I do. That until a man was willing to do that, in God's sight, God was unable to release his own son. Phenomenal. We're here because of that. That's why when we go to heaven, Abraham's one of the first characters you will meet and honor because of what he did. But what about your life? What can you lay down? What is it that you can lay down? What is it that you can endure so that God can order honor you with his blessing in the days? Listen, we're living in a culture where all I hear is complaints. Oh, life is so hard. I had to wait 30 minutes in the drive through <laughs> No, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying we, we think what we think are hardships are nothing compared to what humans have endured. And some of the men and women of the scriptures have endured. And so I'm just trying to toughen you up a little bit. You're all from Montana. You all... Don't you have, you know, what? A, don't the cowboys eat a bale of hay and a gallon of diesel fuel for breakfast? Isn't that the way it goes? <laughs> I thought it was that way. Somebody told me that. You know, it's not, in this world, it's not what you take up, it's what you give up that makes you rich. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to endure for the kingdom of heaven? And I'm going to say again, this the books, history books of Christianity are filled with men and women who are true princes of God, who gave up much, endured much for the kingdom's sake. And not always recognized, and many are not honored until they stand in the presence of God. I was telling Pastor Jordan about uh, James Chalmers, uh, that's uh, Scottish pioneer went into Southeast Asia, Papua New Guinea. Phenomenal man who pioneered. He, he, he was adamant. He said, I want to go where no one's ever gone. I want to go among the cannibals and the, and the hardest reaching tribes. And he reached them. But at age 60 or 61, he went into a last remaining tribe. This was in the, right around the turn of the 20th century. And he wanted, took his associate and we wanted to reach this tribe. They hadn't been reached yet. And uh, then the world never heard from them again. They were captured, kidnapped or captured, and the cannibals ate them. The man gave his life for the gospel, but he endured. His story is amazing. And I think it's stories like that we need to hear in this culture because we're a pampered culture. And it helps us to put into context the things we suffer in this life are not like some of the heroes of faith have already endured. But they are necessary to a degree for us to achieve our destiny. Let me just qualify what I said. You and I endure something different than the other heroes of faith of the past. Is that we're bombarded with information and media. And our children are suffering. In fact, they have emotional uh, issues, mental issues in schools and so forth, they're bombarded by information. Way more information than a child should ever have. I thought it was really cool when we 
as kids, found out that you could take a tin can, tie a cord to the bottom, and tie a cord to another tin can, straighten it out, and you had a telephone. You're like, whoa, man, this is cool. That was my life. Now you got four or five-year-olds. They're better than me on this thing. I mean, this is an amazing tool, but it's, it's a curse, too. It's creating a, a social disorder. And it's creating information we shouldn't have. Children shouldn't have certain information. And I, I know this is, I don't know what the answer is because it's such a crazy culture. But I do know this, we are enduring difficult times. Stressful times. So we need to be strong like those heroes of faith. How many would say amen to that? You all with me on that? Second thing is, what are you willing to change? Everybody has to change. God does not call you and give you a mission, give you a purpose, and then say, oh, by the way, you can stay the way you are. And Joan and I know that. You know, Joan, I have to commend her. We are a team. We're going to be 50 years December 2nd, married. Amen. I know you're thinking, when I married her when she was five, right? She looks that way. She is. She's an amazing person and uh, gifted. And we're so different. She's a perfectionist. I'm a big picture person. And uh, we do, we've done television together. We've said this, any marriage that can last doing television together, live television together, is a marriage made in heaven. No? And we've done that. We've, we've done, there were times we would do six hours straight of live television. We called them partner weeks and we would broadcast and prophesy over the nation. If you can do that, I mean, man, that's, that's a challenge. And we did it over and over, and she's just amazing, right? What's my point? We had to press through many, many situations. We had to change. Joan was an introvert by uh, her personality. To be on television was the last thing she ever wanted to be. Well, she looks so beautiful. Others look at her and say, what? No, that's obvious. But, but for her, that wasn't obvious. And it was a stretch. I'm more extroverted, so it was, you know, I'm in the pulpit all the time. It's, it's not that unusual. But for her, it was immense, immense challenge. And uh, I'll tell you, she pressed through that barrier. We wouldn't be here if she didn't press through that barrier. And so we do television a lot. Well, we... We produce a TV that goes on nationally and in Canada on Daystar. I'm a, Jordan kept calling me the president of Daystar. And I said, well, you're promoting me, man. I'm not, I'm not the president, but I am a director on Daystar. <laughs> I appreciate it, Jordan. It was good. <laughs> what are you willing to change? You know, Manny, Joseph endured exile. It was crazy. You know what it says about Joseph? In Psalm 105, God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in iron, un irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. When you have a word of the Lord, you're going to be tested and stretched. I never knew I could be stretched as much as I was. But I never also believed that this 
son of Dutch immigrants in southern Alberta, some insignificant place, would have national influence like we do. It was never beyond, that was so far beyond the scope of my mind at the time. But God gave us that word and then we had to press forward into it and there was a lot of changing and stretching and hard work and it came to pass. Thank God. And we still have a vision. And I believe that. Vision keeps you young. But also believe this, you're not done until you leave this planet. People say, when are you going to retire? Retire? Do you mean like getting new snow tires? Like that kind of, no. No, when are you going to retire? Well, I know what they're saying is what your vocation. But as far as the kingdom is concerned, I want to be useful and productive to the very end. Am I time okay? Yeah? Okay. I'm just wrapping up here. So what? second thing is, what are you willing to change? Third thing is, what are you willing to lay hold of? You know, Jacob had to lay hold of his father's blessing. Elisha, you remember him? He would not leave Elijah. He said, I'll not leave you. And Elijah, the prophet, said, stay here. I've got to go over here. He gave him a direct order. I just read it the other day. It's a direct order. He said, you stay here, and I'm going to go over there. And Elisha said, no, I'm going with you. So Elijah let, Elijah let him. See, Elisha knew something was up. And then he kept saying, I want a double portion. And then Elijah said, well, you know, if you see me when I'm taken up, but you've asked for a hard thing. He said, you've asked for a hard thing. But if you see me, you will receive a double portion. Elisha stands out as a good example for each of us. This man would not give up pressed on through one barrier after another to receive the double portion. As you know, the mantle of Elijah fell, and he was able to pick it up. And then he took it, and he struck the waters of the river Jordan. You read it, it's pretty bold. He says, where's the God of Elijah? And he strikes the waters. I go, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty out there. And the waters part. And, you know, Elisha actually did much greater miracles than Elijah. Although, the two characters that came to visit Jesus were Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is why most people believe those are the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Some believe it could be someone else, but either way, it's interesting that those two met with Jesus on the Mount. Those that God used in the past were just ordinary people. Remember this, with an extraordinary master. They were not all champions of great faith, but little people who saw their own need and put their small faith in a great God. Think of this. Not one person in this room is too small or insignificant to be used of God in a great way. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you? I'm not talking about some hedonistic way. I'm talking about just being used of God for his purpose. Some of the greatest people at the front lines in heaven are the prayer warriors who sat in a circle with their intimate friends and warred in the spirit. You know, one of the ancestors of Donald Trump were one of the intercessors who opened the uh, islands, the Hebrides, to revival. The Hebrides revival. Have you read about the Hebrides revival? 
One of the most unique revivals that took place in that in the past, uh, well, this would be the last hundred years or so. What made that one distinct, though, is that the soil itself became holy ground. Uh, by the way, Donald Trump apparently has that grandmother's Bible that she had. She was one of the intercessors that brought, and, and the guy that came, Duncan Campbell, wasn't their first choice. They went to a convention to find the one that they felt was the most to come and lead a revival in the Hebrides, in the Isle of Lewis, I believe. And they couldn't get it. And the guy said, I can't come. No, I'm not coming. So then they found this other guy, Duncan Campbell, and he was kind of like third, fourth, fifth, sixth choice. How would you feel? Okay, I'll come. I can only come for a little bit. And Duncan Campbell came. And what the reports are is that something transfigured in the soil of the Isle of Lewis. And they would, when you got off the ferry, it was a ferry crossing from Scotland, and stepped onto the plank for the aisle, that suddenly you felt like you were on holy ground. Reports are that people that would get off the boat, the ferry, would fall to their knees and repent and receive Christ. They went, when he came, Duncan Campbell, they decided to have a meeting that night. And they went to a church, and they began to have a meeting, and the power of God fell, and they were all on their knees, and, and uh, hours like this, and they said the young people were having a dance in the same community. It's not a big community, but they were having a dance. And they said the same thing happened in the dance. They're all singing and dancing, probably drinking. And the power of God moved into the dance. They all fell on their knees, many of them. Many committed their lives to Christ, became missionaries, but they were all, and, and stay, came to the church. And there's the report. I've got the reports on my computer from Duncan Campbell that 600 people some were in the church, the rest were outside the church of the night of the revival. And they didn't, nobody even told them. They just came. They said, we got to go to church. So sovereign was that move of God. It was a little lady with a Bible praying with her friends who God gave them a word. What if that happened in Billings? Well, if it happens, you make sure you send those people to Lethbridge, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, who are you willing to serve? Six, Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. You know, there are three tests of faithfulness in Luke 16. It says, that which is least, that which is another man's, and that which in the unrighteous mammon, meaning money. We all go through tests in our lives. And the things you do with the little things in your life today determine what God will give you tomorrow. So what are you willing? What are you willing to do, to serve? There have been people over the years that said to me, I just want to come alongside and serve and help you. Some have done really well, haven't they? There's one young man, younger man, well, he's not that young today, but he was young at the time, Paul Joss. And he's now in northern Alberta and in northwest territories. You, you don't understand what this kind of countryside is. This is wilderness with very small indigenous communities just here and there. And he's planting churches. He's on how many churches now? 15 churches in just the last few years. It's so impressive that Kenneth Copeland is supporting him. 
that connection came through my friend Bill Prankard, who knows Ken. And uh, Kenneth Copeland has a real passion for indigenous people. And so he'll sow into this. And this is what Paul is doing. Paul and Janice. And he, Paul calls me his spiritual father. And I'm amazed at him. He's just amazing. He has been willing to do whatever. Small deeds done better are better than great deeds planned. Peter Marshall said that. Father, I thank you today. Here in this room. Every time we come to church, Lord, this is a platform for heaven and earth to meet. And here we are today. Every person in this room, no matter their age, no matter their wealth, no matter their social standing, no matter their past failures, no matter what, are qualified to be significant in your kingdom. And today, Lord, I take authority over the barriers and the chains and the bondages that exist in anyone's life in this room that are holding them back. And in the mighty name of Jesus, I break those bondages and I declare a release in this room and those listening by live stream, I declare a release from every bondage in their life in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. I just hear this. There's someone in this room. For years you know God has called you to do something. It might be financial. I don't know what the calling was. And you have had the th you want to do it, but you've had a real struggle with fear. You've, you struggle with the fear of abandonment. Not the fear of poverty, but the fear of abandonment. Because you've been abandoned. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to make a step in your life that will break that abandonment. Wow, you know, I feel the anointing of this. If you are that person, do you want to stand? you want to stand? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you. You're standing. It might be more than one, by the way. Just one gentleman. If you feel the Holy Spirit tugging, just stand. Yeah. Can I ask you both to come up here? Is there anyone else? Just anyone else? Just come forward a little bit. What's your first name? Kevin, Kevin, Jesus loves you. Do you realize, just come, actually has been created to keep you from being the son of God that you're destined to be. You do understand that? What is your first name? Tony? There's a real healing going on here. Honey, just come. Tony, the things of the past are exactly that. They passed. Say passed. Yeah, they're not going to grip you now. In Jesus' name, I break the power of this thing. I break the power of the memory. See, you know, our memory has to create new paths. Did you know that? The synapses of the brain. I ask you to break the power of those memories in Jesus' name. And I refuse entry, position for abandonment on your life today. And from this day forward, Holy Spirit, we release the anointing 
for healing. In Jesus' name. Here's what's going to happen, I hear in my spirit, is one of these nights you're going to have a dream. Uh, Paul called it a night vision. It's half awake, half asleep, and you're dreaming. And God is going to take you through some things that are going to resolve issues in your life. He's going to resolve them. And you're going to come out of that healed. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Because the Holy Spirit knows that we're conscious, but we're also subconscious. We're spirit, soul, and body. But he's talking about the soul here. And this is something you need. It's not a quick fix. It's something that goes deep and clears whatever's been placed there. I don't know anything about you. Does that make... Yeah. It does? Yeah. It's going to resolve it. Just stay here. How about you? Is there something in your, your past that you feel... Man, the blood of Jesus is powerful, you know. You know what? There's nothing. You know when if, if people who bring up, I don't think you do this, but people who bring up their sin that they've confessed to the Lord, you know what God's doing? He's looking down at you and says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't know anything about that. That's under the blood. God the Father believes the blood of Jesus is so powerful it obliterates his memory. It blanks his memory on sins. But who, who carries it? We carry it. We carry it on. See, this is not what we should do because it limits us. God doesn't want us to do it because it limits you. So Derek, I release you now. Do you get headaches? Sometimes. Sometimes. Lord, I release Derek today. Any oppression, any work of the enemy, anything that has held him back, the fear of abandonment, we release over him and we speak the peace of God in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, who is our strength, our guide, our leader. Sometimes you don't feel you qualify for the help, but Holy Spirit's called helper. It's not you that qualified. Jesus said, I'm going to send him. You don't need to be qualified. He said, I send the helper, right? The paraclete is the Greek word. We release helper over you, Derek, in Jesus' name. The grace of God in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to ask anyone else this morning, if you feel you want impartation, and then I'll, uh, we'll pray over here, but uh, I know that we can close the service here. Uh, but if you want impartation, we'll just pray over you into purpose and destiny. It's going to maybe cause, it may be fearful, it may be something that you feel might be uncertain or if something they'd have done before. That's irrelevant anyway, if you've done it before, because taking a step in response to what you feel the Holy Spirit's giving you will always be honored by the Lord. And so just come up if you feel like that. I don't know what you want to do. We just want to pray for people. So if you need to get your kids or be dismissed, man, we love you. We'll catch you all next week. Did you appreciate the man of God? I, I tell you, there's something about impartation that it's not information. It's, it's just you just learn from being around them. And when I'm, you know, 42, I love to listen to stories and just receive from older men of God who've been through some battles. So I honor him. 
But we'd love to pray for you. So if you'd like to get prayer, we'll line up the altars. And if you need to go, it's been great to have you out. We love you. And we'll catch you all next Sunday. Amen. Amen. Stand up. Come on down if you want prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. How are you?